might want to hold off the applause until after I'm done. Uh, um, let me read this for you if I could. So all the believers uh, were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. And they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those that owned land or houses sold them and brought them money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anybody who had need. Now there was a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the, the rest of it at the apostles' feet. When Peter said, Ananias, how is that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And a great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Holy Spirit? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. We'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> hey, uh, I just want first I want to say it is so good to be here, to be back here. I, I was here about a month ago, or actually about a six month ago, and uh, I'm sure you're just recuperating from the last time I spoke, and so that's why it took so long to get back here. Uh, but I'm so glad to be here. Seriously, seriously, God is doing something here. Seriously. I pastor a church in Ann Arbor and I'm able to speak at many churches. Uh, it's special. This is special, all right? Don't take this for granted. This doesn't happen everywhere. It is special. Good things are happening. God is moving, all right? This is from somebody that's from the outside. So I just wanna say thank you and for inviting me and in, in, showing love to me and my wife. Um, when when uh, Shay 
uh, contact me and he says, Scott, I'd love you to come back and, and talk at Grumwise. I'd love to. I love your church. It's awesome. He said, great. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about, uh, you know, I don't understand what I do. I don't understand the things that I do. I said, that is awesome. I love that topic. And Paul talks about that. I understand what I do. Why do I do what I do? Absolutely great. He says, and then he contacted me to get, and you know what we decided? We're going to, we want you to talk about lying. And I said, oh, that is so good. It is so relevant. Like, we are, our culture is saturated in deception, is it not? I mean, it's all about lies right now. You don't even know who's telling the truth anymore. I mean, from the, whether it's the highest leaders or our conversations with each other or on Facebook or Instagram, or we even lie to ourselves. It is such an important topic. I said, I can't, that is awesome. I can't wait to talk about that. And then a couple weeks later, he sent me an email and he said, and this is, we would love for you to talk about the story in the Bible in Acts 5, where it talks about Ananias and Sapphira and how they lied. And I paused. And the reason I paused is because I never really liked that story. <laughs> and you're like, can he say that? I don't know if I can say it or not, but... I know we're talking about lying and I'm trying to be as honest as possible. I've never liked that story. The story I just read to you, never liked it. I know it's in the Bible, I'm supposed to, but I don't, never have. And the reason is, it's probably the same reason you feel uncomfortable with this. It's harsh. Isn't it harsh? Anybody agree with me? That is like harsh. Like it's not just harsh, you know, life is harsh. But like, it's like, it's un it feels unjust. Right? It's like the, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Yeah, they messed up. Ananias, Sapphias, you know, they, they said they were going to bring in all the, the money that they had and they sold their land. They were going to bring it into the church and they were going to give the church all of it, but they decided to keep back a little bit of it and said that it was, you know, yeah, they messed up. They screwed up. But did God have to kill them? Literally, did God have to like knock them dead? I mean, did they deserve a timeout? Absolutely, as my kids would say. They deserved a timeout. They deserved a good talking to. They deserved a chance to make it right again, but boom, no, dead. And I've never really liked that aspect of the story, but you know what? You know what the thing is? It really doesn't matter if I like it or not. Can we just be honest? It doesn't matter if I like it or not. I know that in the scripture, I know that in the Bible, it says that all, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and guiding and directing us in all righteousness. So I know it doesn't matter if I like it or not. It is in here for a reason. It is in here to teach us something about God and to teach us something about ourselves to teach us something about our heart. So I went to it this week and I said, you know what? I'm taking this as a challenge. I'm going at it. And I went with, with purpose. And I said, God, what do you need to teach me? What do you need to teach me so that I can teach you? God, how do you want, how, how do you want us to look at this? And when I did, man, I was shocked at what I found. Actually, I was shocked at what I did not find. You know what's interesting? Uh, even, I've been a pastor for like 10 years, over 10 years, lead pastor. And I bring, even I bring into stories, stories that I may have heard quite a bit, or maybe if I haven't read some, I bring assumptions into a story. Like I'm just assuming that this is what it's about. But when you actually dive into it, you realize, wait a minute, I, 
I've been assuming something that's actually not there. And I had a couple assumptions crushed in this story. And maybe for you, it's similar. And so here's the first assumption that I had going in that was crushed. Assumption number one, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. Nowhere in this story does Luke, the writer of this story, nowhere in this story does Luke say that God had a hand in their death. That is an assumption that I brought into it. Nowhere to say that their death happened because God did it. Now, I think that is huge. I think that's huge. How many times in life do we, whether it's scripture or life, do we like assume that God, something bad happened and we assume that God was you know, a part of that? Well, that, that was God's plan or that's just what God wanted or, well, God's hand must be in that and God's like, I had nothing to do with it. Right? Luke doesn't, I don't think even Luke knows. Like Luke is a physician. He's the writer of this. He's a physician. It's just the facts, ma'am kind of guy. He's not going to say whether he knows or not. I don't think he knows. He's not going to bring his assumptions to it and bring it as fact. I think he just doesn't know. But that is a big deal. And when we understand that, that that's not in it, something else happens. This is the other assumption that came to mind. Assumption number two is Ananias and Sapphira died because they lied. That's not how the story reads. That's not how Luke tells this story. That's not how it reads. That's not how he tells the story. If they had died <laughs> because they lied, then they would have died directly after they lied. But if you read the story, they only die, it is only after Peter confronts them with the lie that they die. It is only after they're confronted with the lie. Their hearts don't stop because they lied. Their hearts stopped because they were caught in a lie. Have you ever been caught in a lie? Have you ever caught somebody else in a lie? My daughter, she's almost 15 now, but when she was uh, in elementary school, she was a uh, um, she was like in fifth grade and my wife had just got a new phone, that's new cell phone. And we specifically, she specifically told my daughter, Emma, not to take the cell phone, especially to school, never to take it to school. And of course my, my daughter says, yes, mommy, of course, mommy, yes, mommy. And then one day my wife is looking around the house for the cell phone and it's not there. And she comes up to me and she says, babe, I think Emma took my cell phone to school. I said, Emma couldn't have done that because you told her not to. She would never do something like that. She would never take it to school because I saw you. You said, don't take it to school. She said, I think she took it to school. And then as the day went on, she was more convinced that Emma had taken the cell phone to school. Well, we had been, you know, our, the school is right across the street uh, from our house. And all she has to do is walk over. So we knew when Emma was walking over. And so we sat at the front door waiting for Emma to come through the door. And Emma comes through the door and she sees us kind of sitting there like, Emma, she's like, we're, she's like hi. You said, um, would you like to sit down? Could you sit down, please? How was your day? Fine. Great. She, I, she said, would you like to sit down? All of us are just one minute. And she runs down the stairs. Her bedroom's downstairs. And she runs down the stairs as fast as she can. And you hear a rustling. You know, putting something away, obviously the phone. <laughs> She's one minute. 
and uh, okay, and she comes back upstairs and she sits in the chair, and my wife says, Emma, do you know where my cell phone is? No. You don't know where it is? No. She's like, did you check your bedroom? And she's like, yeah, I checked the bedroom. She's like, I don't know. It's like, Emma, did, and I'm like, Emma, did you take the cell phone to school? She's like, oh, no, no. And my wife says, Emma, we know you did. We know you took it to school. We know you came back. We know that you scrambled downstairs. We know that you put it in your room. And if I get up right now, where am I, am I gonna find that cell phone in your room? Silence. <laughs> and my wife looks at her and says, Emma, you're lying to us. And immediately, <laughs> waterworks. I mean, crying. She's trying to say sorry, but she can't even get it out. You know, you've been there, right? Where it's like, sorry. And she's just trying to get it out. And we just come around her and we're we forgive you. We forgive you. You know, we still love you. We forgive you. And we're like, just don't do that again, right? We, it's caught in a lie hurts. But it's one thing to be caught in a lie and feel guilt or to feel regret or remorse. It's another thing to get caught in a lie and drop dead. And that's what happened here, right? And so the question becomes is what, what, what were, what were, what was it that caused them to be like, oh, right? Uh, you know, because the, the thing is, the thing about me is I'm always actually surprised at people who don't mind this story. Like, oh, I'm cool with this story. Like, is this what you're expecting when you walk into church? I mean, you're expecting people to keel over? This story, because like the offering plate goes by and you're like, well, I promised God I'd give him a 20, but maybe I'll just give him a 10, Ugh, right? <laughs> Like, this is, a, this is a, difficult, a difficult story. So why did they keel over? And I think, here's what I think, here's what I think. I really believe this. I believe one of the reasons is because of the community that they were in. Now, you said, I have to understand, in the first century, this community, this Jesus community, this is the first church, and they were known for their generosity. That's what they were known for. That was it. Their unbelievable overwhelming self-sacrificial generosity. Matter of fact, it says that there, in, in the book of Acts, that nobody claimed anything as their own. It was everybody's. It was given by God and it was everybody's. That was the community and they had betrayed that whole community. Now in the first century, if you were a Christian and you decided to be a Christian, it means that you were no longer allowed to go back to your old community. You were kicked out. It wasn't that the Christians wouldn't let you go back. You were kicked out by your family. So they had nowhere to go. They had no other community to go to. They had betrayed the only thing they had and they had known. And you can imagine how heavy that would have weighed on their hearts. But I think there's another thing. And I think this is big. And I think it's what Peter says to them. Peter confronts him with him, and, and, and Peter says this. Here's what he says. Do you remember this? How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Now, did Peter have to go that far? Did he really? Did he really have to say Satan? Did he really have to go there? Like in my conversations, I try to avoid using the word Satan as much as possible. Always feels like a conversation killer, right? But Peter's like, Peter just uses it. He's just like out there. He's, why has Satan so filled your heart? It just seems so harsh. But listen, 
I don't think Peter is using that word to be harsh. And I don't think he's being flippant either. I think he's using it for a very good reason. Do you remember Peter? Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus that would follow Jesus everywhere he went for 12 years or three years, learning everything that Jesus taught. And there's, I'm sure Peter remembered one moment and it's recorded in the book of John. And if you read the book of John before, maybe, maybe you, you remember this story. But Jesus is laying into some of the religious leaders. And, and the religious leaders in those days were called Pharisees. And he was calling them hypocrites. Now, we think we know what hypocrite means, right? But did you know that in the Greek, hypocrite literally means actor, performer, pretender, poser, somebody who wears a mask, pretending like they're somebody else. That's what it literally means. This is the first time ever anybody had ever used the word hypocrite outside of the theater context. And Jesus was calling them hypocrites. And he was saying, you're pretending, you're lying, you're pretending that you're better than you really are so that somebody will look at you and say, oh, you are so spiritual. Oh, you must be so close to God. Oh, you are so holy. You're pretending. You're lying. And when Jesus says this and he calls them hypocrites, then he says this, because he doesn't stop there. He keeps going. And Jesus says this. He says to him, you belong to your father, the devil, Satan. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And then he keeps going and he says this, when he lies, meaning Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is saying when we lie, especially when we lie to make ourselves look better than we really are, we are no longer using the language of God, but we are using the language of Satan, the evil one. Now listen, if that doesn't make you at least pause, before you tell an untruth that makes yourself look a little bit better than you are, then I don't know what will. I know this week is so convicting for me. But here's the thing, I think there's something else going on here too. I think Peter is thinking of something else and I'm thinking, thinking at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, and many of you know this, even if you've never read the Bible before, I bet you know this, in the beginning, God creates the world out of nothing. <laughs> he speaks in the void, out of the nothing of the nothingness. He speaks into the void and he creates the heavens and the earth. And when he does that, he calls it what? What does he call it? Anybody here? Good, yeah, good, 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 good. After every like section, he calls it good, 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 good. And then he creates human beings, and he creates human beings, you and I, the first humans in his own image, created in his own image, cherished children of the living God with immeasurable value and worth. And he breathes into them, and, and they're filled with life and they know who they are and whose they are. And they walk through the world knowing what God has said about them. And there's that one part where God says, everything is your, I have given you everything, except there's this one tree, there's one tree in the middle of the garden, and don't touch that, trust me, you won't understand even if I told you. 
but everything else is yours. And they would walk with God in the middle of the day, in the cool of the day, and God would speak to them, speak words of truth and love and admiration. And, and he would just speak words of affection into their lives, that they were taken care of, that they were protected, that they were loved. And then something happens in Genesis, Genesis 3. It says this. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now when it said crafty, it doesn't mean good at scrapbooking. It means cunning, deceiving, a liar. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now is that true? It's not true. It's not true at all. That's not what God said at all. God God said you could eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And to to the credit of the woman, Adam, or Eve, she gets it. She gets it. She catches on to it. The woman says, says to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She catches it. She catches him in the lie. But then he goes on and he says this. Satan says this. The evil one says this. You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is the evil one trying to do? Trying to convince her that God can't be trusted. That God can't be trusted. That, oh, 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 I know what he said to you but he can't be trusted. He's trying to convince her that God's the one telling the lie. God's the one lying here. To convince her that that God can't be trusted and that she is on her own. If God can't be trusted, you're on your own. You gotta look out for yourself. You gotta look out for number one because you can't trust God. What he said about you, mm mm-mm. You gotta do what you gotta do for you. And that's exactly what happened. They feared that God could not be trusted and so they looked out for number one. They looked out for themselves. See, that's what, that's what the evil one wants to do. He wants to convince you that God can't be trusted. That God can't be trusted, so you are on your own. No, 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 God really doesn't love you the way that he says he loves you. No, God doesn't really accept you the way he says that he accepts you. No, you don't really belong to him the way that he says you belong to. No, no, no. God doesn't have a plan and a purpose the way he says that he has for you a plan and a purpose. No, no, no. God's not going to supply every one of your needs the way 
that he says he's going to supply every one of your needs. That's the evil one tries to convince you that God cannot be trusted, that he's the one lying. Because if we truly believed what God said, if we believed that we're already loved, if we believe that we're accepted, if we believe that we belong, if we believe that he's going to supply every one of our needs, if, he be, if we believe that he had a plan and a purpose for our lives, we would never have to lie. There would be no reason for us to lie. There would be no reason for us to think that we would ever have to say anything that make us look better because we're already loved. We're already accepted. By the one who has an opinion, which is the only opinion that actually matters. Why would you even care about what anyone else thinks when you're already loved? You're already loved by the creator of the universe. Who cares? Who cares what anyone else thinks? You're loved. You're accepted as you are. You belong. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're already loved. You don't need to try to make yourself look any better than you are who cares what other people think i have um um, you call them connects groups here we have life groups at the green room uh different groups that meet throughout the city different different times and different days of the week smaller groups and uh we've been meeting for a while i host one of the groups and uh there was one guy that would come in and uh he was i remember he was new one day he was new and he came in obviously we we're loving and, you know, just loving on him, just welcoming him, so glad that he was here. And from the very first day, he would, when he opened his mouth, uh, man, he, he lived an incredible life. He was young, and he had lived, like, the life of, like, five people. It was obvious he was not telling the truth. He was just kind of making things. You ever been around somebody who's just like, why? It's obvious that's not true. And it's, it's awkward for everybody. And the, the next week he would come and we'd do the exact same thing. And by the second week, everybody realized, oh, he's not really, he's not telling the truth. And it's like, it's really strange because in our group, it's all about like, let's just be honest. <coughs> and I remember one day he was a little bit early and he started talking about something and he was going off on something that I just knew we all knew it wasn't true. And he went into the kitchen and I followed him into the kitchen and he was getting something to eat and I looked at him and I said, you know, um, you don't have to do that. And he looks at me and he goes, do, do what? I said, you don't have to make things up. And he's like, I, he's getting really defensive, of course. He said, I'm not, what do you mean? Make, I don't make things up. I said, listen, you're already loved. We already love you. You're already accepted here. You don't have to prove yourself. We already love you. We already love you. And it was silence. And my wife will attest to this, the next week things changed tremendously. I mean, there was a humility there was an honesty. It was like a whole new 
person. Sometimes we just need to know we're already loved. You don't have to prove that to anybody. You know that? You don't. God already proved you're already loved by sending his son to die for you. You're already loved. You're already loved. You're already loved. Somebody this morning needs to be reminded that you're already loved. You don't have to prove your worth and your value to anybody. God says you're loved. Let me ask you a question. Where do you tend to, let's say, exaggerate? Where in your life, because I think we kind of do it in all areas of our life sometimes, but where is the, where is the point where you, you can catch yourself, wait a minute, I, I tell an untruth there a lot. And ask yourself why you do that. I mean, like, what's going on in here that would cause you to do that, right? Maybe it's like, I don't know, with your family, or maybe it's with your friends. Maybe it's in your work environment. I don't know, but where is that? I'm gonna be completely honest here because I feel like that's important in this series. I'm gonna be honest with you, and I'm gonna tell you something that I'm not proud about, but this is just God honest truth. Uh, I caught myself doing something not long ago. Um, I'm a church planter. I 10 years ago, my wife and I, we started the green room. And, um, you know, many of you were here at the beginning of Grumlaw. You know what it's like to start a church and, you know, watch it grow. And this place is growing tremendously and it's so exciting. And that's what churches are supposed to do. Like, this is what, you know, what everybody says. It's supposed to, it's just supposed to you know, grow leaps and bounds by people. In a few years, I caught myself doing something. Whenever somebody would ask me, and it was usually from some larger churches, anybody would ask me and they would say, so how's the green room going? And I would say, it's going really good. With, I mean, I really, it's so exciting. And then they would say, they would say, so how many people are you at now? So how many people are you at now? And you know what I would do? I'd fudge the numbers. Just a little. Just bump it up, just a little. There's not much. And that's how I would justify it. It's no big deal. But it was no big deal. Why did I have to say it? Right? And I just, oh, yeah, it's, it's here. When it was really like right here. And I was like, and then I realized I did that. I did that almost every time somebody asked. And I asked myself, why would I do that? Why did I feel the need to fudge the numbers? And um, this was around the time that I was learning a prayer. It was called the Daily Examine. It's in five sections. It changed my life. And one of the sections is you go through your day and you ask yourself why you responded to somebody in the way you responded. And you ask God, why did I act that way? And uh, it's always horrifying to ask that question because... I'm like, oh, you know, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was this bad, right? And then, but then the whole point is that God loves you anyway, and it's beautiful at the end. So I asked God, I said, 
So I remember one day I got in literally my prayer room and I said, God, this is what I do. Why do I do it? And I remember God said to me, you do it, Scott, because you're more concerned about what other people say about you than what I say about you. And he says, Scott, I say I love you. Scott, I say I accept you. Scott, I say I'm proud of you. Who cares what anyone else thinks? Who cares what anybody else thinks? Scott, this is the road I have you on, and I'm proud of you. Listen, when I got that, I said, what? There is no need for me to ever say anything to try to make myself look better. I'm already loved. You're already loved. Stop trying to make yourself look better to other people. You're already loved by the only one that really matters. And my prayer this morning is that we take that, understand that we, we don't call God a liar, that we believe what he says about us. And when we believe it, we walk with a confidence. And you know what else we walk with? A freedom. You know, if people, you know what? That's the great thing about people that are just so honest. They're free. They're so free because they don't care. They just know that God loves them. My prayer for you is that you walk out of here with a freedom that you're reminded that you are already loved.